Hi, everyone. A brief note before we get started with this last episode of season one. This was recorded in the summer before Bobby Leach assumed her current position as chair of Viatech Board. Uh, special thanks to all of the staff that helped make this possible. Thanks especially to Ian Rasconi, who edited most of the final episodes, as well as this one, which had some audio cleanup that needed to be done. Uh, thanks again to Ian Rasconi for his audio editing and post-production skills. Uh, thanks again to Quadratic Sound for all of your on-site recording setup and services, as well as your post-production in the early part of the season and Manjinder Benning of Limbic Media for his music jingle, and Rosemary Media for the brand icon she created. Uh, please do stay tuned for Season 2 coming up in the spring. Thanks again for everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Bye for now. Welcome to Coding in Canada, where we talk with technology leaders in Victoria, BC. I'm your host, Sean Crabtree. Today we'll be talking with Bobby Leach, CEO of Revenue Wire for nine years and Viatech board member for five. She won the Stevie Award for Female Executive of the Year, as well as the Viatech Executive of the Year, the first woman to do so, both in 2015. Let's talk with Bobby now. Well, tell us about Revenue Wire for folks who don't know it. Yeah, so Revenue Wire started um, 11 years ago. So uh, it was really the, the brainchild of um, successful entrepreneurs here in town, uh, Elton Pereira, Adrian Pereira, and, and their brother-in-law, Don Wharton. So it started you know, as a family-run business, but they'd also launched another business called Pradologic, a little bit older and, and a little bit ahead of what Revenue Wire was. And so they were managing that full-time, and so they made a decision pretty early on to hire an independent management team to come in and grow the Revenue Wire business. Mm. And essentially, that's where I come in. Mm -hmm. um, but so they were the original founders. And, you know, 11 years ago to create a payment solution for software companies that they literally could onboard and be live with taking payments globally within the same day right. is, was pretty innovative. Absolutely. I wouldn't say we were the, the market leaders because there was a couple other companies in this sort of vertical. Right. Um, but we certainly were one of the early day companies. And um, and that's, you know, how we were able to accelerate our growth. And there wasn't a lot of options 10 years ago. Right. And so um, I, th I think um, we had these issues as well in a startup that I was in in 2003, which is um, having to get like a merchant ID and all this. This is what you essentially So we do all that, all that for them. Right. So it's the same as you if you... You were what we were looking for yes, seven yeah. years before <laughs> you launched. Yeah, and that was the challenge, right? right? That was the challenge of if you went directly to a gateway, like a Chase payment tech or a Wells Fargo, right. um, not to get your own merchant ID, right. you usually ended up in six months of banking hell <laughs> <That's> <laughs> because you have to go through all the 
paperwork and applications and oh um, you know getting flashbacks compliance and yeah it is it's a like very PTSD it's from that very time yeah absolutely it's it, terrible it's, it is it's a very cumbersome slow painful process especially right. if you are a, a younger business mm-hmm. um, you know because you don't have the expertise maybe yet you don't have the resources and you're just in our case the partnership we have with our clients is our clients can stay focused on their their service and their software, their SaaS company, and they can essentially outsource all the complexity of payments mm-hmm. in a global arena to us. Right. And we worry about you know onboarding different gateways and different payment options and making sure everything is PCI compliant right. and um, making sure that we have the functionality to not just charge you know initial transactions but recurring transactions, mm-hmm. which sure. is another level of complexity again mm-hmm. subscriptions subscriptions uh, yeah. right which yeah. a lot of businesses nowadays are following that subscription model uh-huh. and do you plug in for apps as well like the itunes store and things all those like certain Android? certain apps so um, a lot of our clients need uh, automatic integrations with crms mm-hmm. so you know we're integrated with salesforce as an example right. um, we're a fairly api centric business to begin with so a mm-hmm. lot of times they're taking our various APIs and plugging that into whatever tools that they're using. But for those clients that we have sort of two categories of clients, some that are very uh, want to have the control and use the APIs and be able to customize things for their business and their flows. Mm-hmm. And then we have the clients that, no, 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 we don't really have that expertise or time or effort. We just want the account and we want it to be configured so that we can just you know, scale up our business. Right. And so that's really ready to go as opposed to being custom through our APIs. For sure, for um, sure. But we have both types of clients. And would you say your business is a bit 80-20 with sort of 80% of the people wanting sort of automatic and then the 20% are more API focused? Do you find it's, some, it's something along those lines? Can you well, apply that Pareto principle in that regard? You can, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. but it's from two different perspectives. So if you looked at it from our volume of transactions, yeah. You know, then, of course, the 20% of merchants represent the 80% of revenue. Right. But if you just look at the number of clients, you know, there's a small number of clients that have that size. Yeah, yeah. Going to the 80. Going to the 80. You got it. The inverse. The inverse. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's fascinating. So you find that. Yeah. You find that that clearly is. Yes. That's fascinating. Yes, absolutely. The. That's math, the math is true. Wow. <laughs> Pareto is—he's <laughs> doing great these days. Yeah, <laughs> he's living off those dividends. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, well, if you don't mind, I think I'd like to rewind a little bit and let's find out about the young Bobby, if you will. <laughs> so I, I was so curious um, about a decision that you made very early in your career where I read right after business school, you chose to uh, go to a small sports marketing company. Yeah. And I was hoping you could take us back to maybe uh, your time in school and what led up to there. And then what was that arc that led you in down one road versus another? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So I would say, um, unlike a, um, maybe, at least in my generation, the majority of high school students didn't necessarily know what they wanted to do in their career. Mm -hmm. Um, And by grade 10, I knew 
I wanted to do business. I loved, yeah, I loved creating new things and I love sales and marketing. My parents always thought I was so weird because I'm like, I'll go door to door for that. (laughs) Yeah. Give me the chocolates. Okay. I'll I'll go sell those. (laughs) They're like, okay, you're weird. (laughs) That does sound weird. (laughs) It does. Um, so, but I was always, so even though I was very business oriented and, and very much like tackling new things, I was also into sports. And at some point in my grade 12 year, my mom actually um, learned about this very unique program at the time in Canada. It was the only program in Canada. It was at Laurentian University. And it gave you an honors degree in commerce. So you got the business discipline. And the major, you didn't get to pick your major because the major was sport marketing. And oh. so you took courses on sport and law and sport uh, management and sport marketing. Wow. And it was just, it just was, I was so excited to go into that type of program where, you know, my passion of sports and my, you know, interest and in gravitation towards business stuff was blended together. Amazing. And then in it's like my... They made it for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just, and, and most of the grads from that program went into pure sport organizations like mm-hmm. the the NGOs of sport and mm-hmm. um, or government organizations that manage mm-hmm. sport complexes and sport entities. Mm-hmm. As um, well as professional sports, would you say? Yeah, yep. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. CFL, some of the grads mm-hmm. went into CFL or went and worked for an NHL team. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was sort of the career pass. Um, in our fourth year, we had a gentleman come and speak to our uh, fourth year group um, he ran a sport marketing agency, Henry Storgard. And I was just like so enthralled by what he was doing and his excitement and passion for representing celebrities and sport events and going out and fundraising and, and uh, bringing these to fruition with, uh, with their clients that um, I basically picked up the phone and phoned him <laughs> as, as my usual style. Right. Hi, I want to work for you. <laughs> and uh, he had just started that company that year. Oh, wow. And one of the people that he represented was Alex Bowman, who was a double Olympic gold medalist in swimming. So he won big at the 84 uh, Olympics down in L.A. Wow. Yeah, I know. I'm dating myself now. Wow. I probably shouldn't have yeah. done that. But <laughs> yes, that's the era. And I think everyone wants to hear from the elders in the tech community, whether they're young elders or <laughs> yeah. elders. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There's, there's lots of learning, that's for sure. I, can, I can't uh, deny that part. That's but how you get the experience. Yeah, that's and how you get the experience. So yeah. I, um, I just wanted to be able to make a difference and have more control over my career and have more influence and making an impact on things. And you can do that in a small business. So... Um, you know, I essentially was employee number three and wow. within three years I became partner and, uh, wow. and Henry and I grew that business into a multi-million dollar company that wow. about three years in, we pivoted out of sport. It used to be called Sportcom, and we pivoted out mm. of sport marketing and went into, um, more, uh, traditional marketing consultancy mm. and, um, and just start growing the business that way. And right. uh, yeah, yeah, I think I read somewhere that you said you love things that aren't entirely figured out yet. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that that's pretty that's pretty interesting. So this brings you to like your late twenty, like twenty seven. Yeah. Twenty six. Yeah. That's astonishing. I mean, what a rocket ship from leaving high school, going through. I'm sure this white hot passion time yeah. uh, of of learning, going lockstep right into a startup. That's like a rocket ship. It must have been an astonishing time for you. I learned so much more than all the people I went to university with. Right. And I don't mean to undervalue what they learned in their careers. Right. But in those early days, when you're first graduating from university, mm-hmm. um, if you take a role that's with a big corporation, you're going to be in a very narrowly defined role. If That's you, the experience I had, in fact. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so you, your yeah. your progression and what yeah. you learn and what you get exposed to mm-hmm. is tempered by that box, right? Completely. But if you go and start your career with a startup, with a smaller company, and, and it mm-hmm. can be tech or it can be any type of business, mm-hmm. you literally are going to get exposed to everything right. and have to become you know good at multiple things. Mm-hmm because that's how a small business survives and grows. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I just, early on, it's, it's evened out over the years, but early on in my career, I felt like I had so much more, um, uh, such faster progression in terms of what I learned and what I was able mm-hmm. to then take on in terms of managing the business. Right. Wow. So then where did you go from there? So then I so that was in Ottawa because I went to uh-huh. university back east. Uh-huh. Grew up in Victoria, oh. so I'm from here. Oh, okay. And uh, went to university in Ontario. Lived in Ottawa for about ten years. Okay. And then um, got an opportunity to move back to Victoria, which is when I started my tech career. Uh-huh. So I've been in tech for about twenty years. So okay. the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. Good time to get in attack. Yeah, it was pre-dot-com bubble burst. (laughs) So it was uh, was really the Wild West, right? It was the the new frontier, and everybody was learning what this new internet thing was and how to to do businesses online. And I consider myself very lucky in my opportunities. And in this case, it was a brand-new business again. It was called Education International. It was started by... Um, the uh, past dean of the business school at UVic, Dr. David Bogue, and uh, and he started this business, which was helping universities and colleges recruit students online. And so again, I you know joined the business shortly after it was started, wow. helped to grow that business into again a multi million dollar business, and was a shareholder in that business as well. And, um, and that was super exciting because we had, you know, and this is, again, uh, dating myself, but we had a dynamic website. Right. <laughs> those things didn't exist back right. then, right? Everybody right. threw up PDFs and, you know, right. JPEGs and um, everything was yeah. by page and ASP. HTML. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> All of those Look at the size of the different size of those fonts and the different colors. Yeah, yeah, but you couldn't search anything. Right. But because we represented um, 
you know, close to 2,000 institutions that were advertising through our websites for their various undergraduate and graduate programs, and they were recruiting students globally. So from, you know, as locally as their state to nationwide to international students coming from China. Um, it had to be searchable and it had to be organized in such a way that we could really target the different audiences and help that user flow into essentially applying right. to a university and college because mm -hmm. that's what that's the service we were providing for sure was this ability to capture new student inquiries and applications and ultimately help that institution a sales funnel yeah totally that's exactly what it was it was an online sales funnel for universities and colleges wow so again you stumbled into serendipity yeah yeah and i and of course i learned a ton because again you know, we went from probably again around that 10 or 11 mark in terms mm -hmm. of number of employees. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. at some point we got to just shy of a hundred. Mm -hmm. um, we went from having a single website to uh, over 50 websites. We went from having sort of a single product focused on international students to having probably 15 to 16 different types of products targeting undergrad biz versus graduate business, undergrad in engineering versus ESL. Or So we had quite a, a range of markets that we were marketing for, for sure. universities and colleges. And then we launched a brand new business in mm -hmm. that yeah. growth business, which was student counselor. I don't think I've mentioned that no, in right. other that. discussions, but that's yeah. Right. So yeah, no, student counselor was brand new launch business that targeted high school students and high school counselors and allowed that high school student, high school counselor to enter in all the, the high school students courses and grades and match that against our database of universities and come back with a probability of whether you'd get accepted or not. Wow, this must have been so cutting edge at the oh, time. Oh, there was nothing like it. Oh, it was yeah. the only thing on the market that did it. Wow. And now, what year is this, would you say? So this is uh, 2001. probably 2001. Yeah. yeah, 2001, 2002. Wow. In that time frame. And so... Um, while the rest of the education international business had clients around the world, we had clients in Australia, UK, the majority of our clients were US based. Mm -hmm. uh, student counselor was Canadian focused. We, we were mm -hmm. recruiting and it was a subscription model, which was also very leading edge. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't the subscription businesses that we have nowadays. Right. And so high schools would subscribe to an annual fee, an annual service, right? and their students would get access to this tool. Oh my goodness, you must yeah. have had very little turnover. Yes, oh yeah, yeah. The adoption was unbelievable. Like just huge number of, of schools that, because again, back in that time frame, the counselors <clears throat> sat there with annual printed calendars huh and manually had to help students figure out whether or not they could get into McGill or U of T or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Um, and now we're saying, hey, you don't even have to do anything, counselor. Right. Your student just logs in, plugs in their courses and grades, and magically a list appears um, of, you know, programs that they could get into. or right. you know, And even if they couldn't, if the likelihood wasn't high, it would tell them why. 
Mm. Oh, your math 10 (laughs) needs to have a higher uh, grade point average. (laughs) If you're wanting to go to McGill. And then at that point, I'm guessing uh, there were so many constraints in your program that directed students to uh, a much smaller uh, ecosystem of choices to make. All they'd have to make the choice of is, do I want to go West Coast, East Coast, size of school, are my friends going to that school or whatever, versus can I get in, which is right. the primary decision that they want to... And, and the stress first. for that student yeah. or, or the student's parents. and like, right. oh, you know, we really want you to go to McGill. And, you know, right. you still might apply, yeah. um, even if you know you're, you're not an, a perfect match. Um, right. But then, of course, you make the decision to apply to three more, right? right. Oh, I'm also maybe going to go to apply to Dalhousie or UBC. Right. And, For sure. Um, yeah, so it's almost like um, people putting the cart before the horse. You're yeah. putting the cart exactly where it should be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, right. let's, let's be first realistic. Things first. first things first. And yeah. let's make sure you got all your options. Right. And you're not maybe missing a year because you didn't get accepted. That's nice. So you sort of set their expectations. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to drill a little, little bit deeper into that and ask, uh, how did you, your team, um, disseminate that? So where did you first, who did you first start with? Which schools did you start with? How did you do that? How did you choose them? How did that wildfire start? Uh, That's a great question, um, because, you know, a lot of my background has been around sales and marketing, and in uh, launching Student Counselor and getting that, adoption it was very much a uh, sales and marketing hand-in-hand exercise and so we actually started by going nationwide right out of the gate um, which you know that that's a choice where oh let's let's build up a a local client base and then start to roll it out mm-hmm. um, we decided that no we were going to uh, we acquired a database of post-secondary or um, high schools and private schools in particular because, of oh. course, they were more motivated um, and interested. And we started with a direct mail campaign, mm-hmm. and then we had an inside sales team that called. Mm-hmm. And I actually went on the road for four months doing presentations to high school guidance counselors right across the country. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, a combination of some technology, sort of sales and marketing, mm-hmm. um, but then still, at the end of the day, because of the audience, the mm-hmm. audience being guidance counselors, um, email marketing wasn't going to work on its own. Right. Um, and, you, and it was a new product and a new service that needed to be demoed mm-hmm. so that they truly understood, right. you know, what it could do, how powerful it was. And then the third part of the strategy was uh, we offered free trials mm. in the beginning. Mm. So we basically said, here, you can, we were so confident that this was just sort of the the, the next best thing since sliced bread for guidance counselors. Mm-hmm. We basically said, yeah, yeah, and it was. Yeah. Um, here, you know, you can have the first you know, three months for free. And so you get it from September to December. And, um, and then again, when those free trials were, were coming off their free time frame, the inside sales team was following up with, uh, you know, trying to close the deal. And the close rate was like 90%. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was just, 
it was awesome. It was a really fun ride. And, uh, you know, being on the road for that long wasn't my first choice, but um, we very quickly figured out, you know, direct mail and email um, wasn't going to cut it for something this new mm-hmm. and, uh, and with the audience of guidance counselors. That wouldn't be true today, of course, but, right. you know, again, we're talking early internet days. Yeah, and this is a revolutionary product. They have no um, frame of reference. No, right. exactly. They couldn't compare it to anything. There was right. nothing out there to compare it to. So how did you make that leap? Did you have uh, something you compared it to that was old and then saying, and then here's our thing, which is the twist? Or It was really a, it was really a demo. Uh-huh. It was really just, just showing, showing them, them. This is the you know, we, thing we, we basically had a, a mock student uh-huh. and, um, and we showed, okay, here's a grade uh, 11 student and here's the courses they've taken and here's the grades. And when we click this button, um, here's the dynamic results that come back. And, uh, you know, and of course the counselors all wanted to pull out their calendars and check the data uh, to make sure that, oh, okay, well, you know, I see it's not matching on UBC Business School for this student. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. And and you could drill down and see why. You know, it was a certain course they were missing or a certain grade point average. And the counselors would pull out their calendars, their books, mm-hmm. old school, and go, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, okay, that's right. And, <laughs> and that actually, I mean, wow. that was probably the biggest part of gaining their trust is that they had to trust that the data that we were basing this on was up to date and accurate. Accurate. Right. Because we're talking about people's futures. People's lives. People's lives. It's a big decision. That's fascinating. And the school, if they're going to subscribe to this, by default is endorsing it. And it's their job. Yeah. That yeah, they're they're like um, a doctor patient relationship almost. Yeah. Right. You're steering something critical and vital yes to their yeah to their future yeah wow that's fascinating yeah. that must have been such a rewarding time it was it was it was very rewarding wow and um where did you go from there so uh, from there i um was part of founding uh, an e-commerce business mm-hmm. called portal links it doesn't exist today as it was founded um and so i'm I'm probably a little off on my dates here in terms of where things are but you know this is around 2006 2007 that sort of time frame you know e-commerce and e-commerce marketplaces were you know really taking off Mm -hmm. so this was a business that was essentially providing a e-commerce platform that the small business didn't have to know how to do anything. So oh, we were going great. after small businesses that were bricks and mortar mm-hmm. and didn't have a website or if they had a website, it's what you know you call that brochure website that Yellow right. Pages gave them for free with right. their annual listing and didn't do anything for them, right? It looked uh, free. It looked free, <laughs> exactly. It had a phone number and, yeah. you know, that was as about as useful as it was. What else do we need? Yeah. The number's there. Yeah, the number's there. Call They're us. Gonna call. Yeah, there's uh, my address even. Yeah, they can come by. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for the early adopters in small businesses that realize that, you know, they could double their business by offering an e-commerce website and still be able to pack and ship the product. 
you know, providing them with a, a turnkey e-commerce platform that allowed them to do that. And all they, literally, all they had to do was sign up for an account with us. Mm-hmm. And we migrated everything for them. We set it all up for them. We had all of the gateways and payments and everything all figured out for them. And they literally just had to receive the orders in their email inbox and, you know, pick and pack and ship like they normally do. Right, right, right. That must yeah. have been kind of revolutionary again. But yes, to those customers. Yes, it was new. That's right. Because that's usually yes. what it, I mean, technology, it doesn't matter how advanced it is, but it's who you're pr- providing that solution to. That's right. Yes. And that Correct. is revolutionary. Yes. In, yeah. in, in, those ca- in that case, pardon me. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was new for them. And there were, you know, they were definitely, again, companies that, oh, I'm not sure this e-commerce thing is really, you know, for us. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, you had the people that knew that they were leaving money on the table. This was something that was going to help their business. And yeah. our secret sauce hmm. was that they didn't have to pay us any money. We just took a commission on all the transactions. Right. And, and again, if you go, if you rewind back to that era, mm-hmm. um, getting an e-commerce website set up, uh, a lot of digital marketing agencies were charging thousands of dollars right. to do this. Right. Um, Still are charging thousands of dollars. I'm surprised when some people. Yeah. But at least nowadays you can go to, you know, a Weebly or a Shopify and, sure. you know, more or less uh, set up your site. Mm-hmm. Um relatively easily and cheaply mm-hmm. um, and that didn't really exist at that point right. in time yeah a square space square space is pretty amazing yeah yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. that's yeah. so we were you know I would say an earlier business of those types of, of mm-hmm. models um, very performance based again so there was no risk to the business mm-hmm. um, they just had to be comfortable paying us a fee uh, say 10%, mm-hmm. you know, our costs might be the equivalent of 3%. So we were making a margin on every transaction. That's fantastic. And yeah, but, you know, as with a lot of payments businesses, mm-hmm. the business model very much requires scale, mm-hmm. you know, so you have all these fixed costs and these fixed overheads mm-hmm. and you really only start to, um, you know, be successful when you reach a certain volume and a scale for sure and that didn't happen with that business uh-huh. Got it. Um, so we we ran out of money uh-huh. before we were able to get to profitability and uh, mm-hmm. so you know that business had a three-year run mm-hmm. um, again learned tons in terms of uh, the technology and the market and uh, sales and marketing um, but it, it wasn't able to get to that scale quick enough. For sure. How close did you get to that, uh, that level? Did you get two-thirds of the way to the goal, or was it much further or much closer? It was close. Uh-huh. It, yeah, it was, that was part of the sad, painful, and, and frustrating part um, is it, it was really quite close. And so... In the last year of the business, um, you know, almost everybody was was laid off so that we can conserve cash, and um, and uh, myself and and the founder went down to Silicon Valley and and did the fundraising roadshow stuff, yeah. um, which again was another great 
learning exercise in terms of pitching VCs and what VCs uh, want to hear and, and how they uh, conduct themselves. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the lesson for me out of that exercise was our timing for our business model wasn't aligned with the popular business model with the VC community at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so e-commerce uh, was on a little bit of a, a slow side. Social networks were all taking off in that era, um, the Facebooks of the world. Mm-hmm. And VCs, it, I just remember sitting in several meetings and they all kept saying, so can you turn this into a social network? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> but maybe I should have said yes. Maybe right. that's really the the learning I should have taken out of that. Um, <laughs> to do whatever they want. Yeah, um, <laughs> but you know the the honest person in me couldn't couldn't spin it quite that much. Right, right. Um, you don't strike me as much of a yes gal as well. <laughs> no, no. I I I like to be pretty confident, and you know, I'm ambitious. I'm optimistic, but I also need to see that you know, that path of, you know, this is how we're going to get there. And I might have unrealistic targets and goals, but, you know, I can see how we're going to get there and, and mm-hmm. it just might take longer to get there than what I'd hoped. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so the timing is everything in business. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it was Gladwell. You were mentioning mm-hmm. him earlier. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually one of his earlier books that was talking, had done a whole bunch of analysis around new startups and what was the most important factor for a startup to succeed and his conclusion was timing. I completely agree with that. You know, obviously you still have to have other things working well, but if you hit the market at the right time, gaining traction in terms of customer adoption or being able to access funding from VCs, that is going to help you be successful and reach that scale or that critical Mm -hmm. mass or that profitability, whatever it is that you're trying to achieve, Mm -hmm. um, more likely. We didn't hit the window dead on on Portal Links, but it was, you know, a very successful business to the point that it got to. Mm -hmm. Shall we fast forward a little bit here? Um, 2015 and 16 was a, a couple of big years for you. You joined Biotech, awarded Executive of the Year, and the Stevie Awards gave you a, you were a silver level winner. Will you tell us a little bit about those? <laughs> I, I mean, that's where I sort of consider myself lucky. You know, Biotech has been uh, an amazing community, an amazing organization. Um, Dan himself has been extremely supportive um, and very forward thinking in terms of women in tech in particular. And, um, you know, I, I definitely credit him for a lot of the, the dynamics in our, our tech community here. You know, in a lot of ways, Biotech is far more diverse, far more proactive and, uh, you know, for women in particular, far more supportive and encouraging for having female tech entrepreneurs, females on the biotech board, recognizing females at the awards, mm-hmm. um, you know, supporting groups like uh, Ladies Learning Code, all of those things. Um, it, it's a 
I have felt very welcomed in that organization and um, feel that, you know, getting some of that recognition is um, all started with Dan recognizing me for that Executive of the Year award. And because um, the Stevies came after that, <laughs> Dan was first and the Viatech Award was first. Uh, I'm sure he'd be proud of that. Yeah. Why did he choose you for executive of the year? I don't know. I don't know. I uh, I mean, I think Dan would probably have the true answer. I don't know okay. what his true reason was. Right, we're but have to catch up with him then. Yeah, yeah. But it's, um, you know, especially if you rewind a few years ago, there was mm. very few women CEOs mm. um, in Victoria. Mm-hmm. And, and there was very few... early time of Revenue Wire. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, um, well, I joined Revenue Wire in 2009, so it mm-hmm. had already started right. to reshape Revenue Wire into a global payments company. Sure. and um, but at this point, is when you were chosen Executive of the Year, you had already gone through that 400% growth. Yes. Right. Yes, yes. exactly. Uh-huh. And so, you know, there was some track record there, and there's history and some success, and um and there wasn't a lot of female CEOs. So, mm. you know, I, I think that, I don't know, I think it was a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> I'm biased. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure you're not the only one who thinks that. And so, I, so I'm new to Victoria. I, again, I, uh, I was uh, here in the early 90s, and then I've been in the U.S. for 20 years now, and I'm just returning. So tell me a little bit about Victoria and women in Victoria and CEOs uh, uh, since that time. Now, I've been in Victoria Tech for 20 years, and half of that I've been much more actively involved in the tech community and biotech and, and other local events. And, you know, it's it's almost night and day. So even if I go back to sort of the late 90s, mm-hmm. Um, I had moved here from Ottawa. Well, mm. Ottawa was called Silicon Valley North. Mm. Um, in, in Canada, they had a huge tech community. And so when I moved out here and actually went through this realization of how small it is, um, I had a, you know, a, a few months of almost panic of, oh, my God, I've made the wrong decision. I've come back home too soon. You know, the tech community, how much it's grown and progressed and, and evolved and become much more mature and sophisticated in the past 20 years is, is huge. It's night and day. I mean, the, the number of tech companies is growing immensely. The diversity of the tech community, um, you know, used to be very sort of engineering, small under 10. You know, now we have some, some killer whales. Now we have... You know, a variety of sectors from payments to gaming to uh, performance marketing um, that are very strong sectors. In mm-hmm. some cases, Victoria's, you know, the world leader in those uh, industries. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then even in more recent years, I would say that, you know, my lens being more from that female perspective, mm-hmm. um, going from a single female on the biotech board to... 
now there's four of us. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, that's that's awesome. And other uh, female tech founders in town, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, have either participated in the ViTech programs, the incubator and accelerator programs, or have on their own initiatives started uh, tech companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that just didn't exist 20 years ago. And um, what about multiculturally? What have you seen there? Again, um, I think Victoria is a much more diverse uh, city than it's ever been. And um, I go back to, you know, my childhood days where, you know, Victoria, of course, was known as newlywed and nearly dead and was extremely white. And, you know, I was so excited to actually leave victoria back then so you know I. and you go to, wait you to go, leave. yeah i couldn't wait to leave either i was like oh yeah. sign me up ontario i'm right. i'm out That's i'm right. off this rock i went to new york yeah, oh yeah well, you can't get any better than yeah. new york i mean yeah, that's amazing um, yeah, and yeah. even though I lived in Ottawa, uh-huh. we had a lot of clients in Toronto. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in Toronto is, is like a, a version of New York. It's mm-hmm. just yeah, the, the sure. diversity in the different neighborhoods and communities. Right. Um, so Victoria today is is a thousand percent better. I mean, yeah. it's far more diverse ethnically um, uh, as well as, you know, age generations and... Right. Even the, uh, of course, the economy, mm-hmm. everything about Victoria is a much, I think, a much healthier, better balanced, better place to live than it's ever been. Mm. How would you describe the people that find Victoria home? That's an interesting question. So it's interesting because I think there's actually two divisions of people in Victoria that call Victoria home. There mm-hmm. is the born and bred, mm-hmm. you know, Victoria people. And, right. and I'm, I'm in that group because right. this is where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the benefit of moving away mm-hmm. and, and seeing other things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got, of course, as you know, all the people who are transplants. Right. They might have been living in Victoria now for years, but they're originally from let's call it back east or, sure. or even the states moving up from the states. And so, right. um, or escaping Vancouver or escaping Vancouver. Calgary. Exactly. I mean, Vancouver, and in some ways, sometimes it's like that competition thing. Yeah. Big um, brother, little brother. Yeah. It's just big sister, islands. little sister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the island. It's just Victoria. It's just Victoria. It's sleepy over there. Yeah. Yeah. Keep thinking that. Yeah, yeah. I think I have had this little siblings growing up. Yeah, I've had um, <laughs> this past year. We did a fair bit of fundraising type of conversations for future pay, mm. and uh, I've had conversations with Toronto VCs, Vancouver, San Fran, New York, all mm. all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the Vancouver people. Well, the Toronto people don't even want to talk to you. Yeah, like. Oh, you're out there? No. Yeah. This is the center of the universe. Unless you're here, I'm not even going to entertain this conversation. Beyond the castle Van- wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's this mode and bye-bye. You're on yeah. the other side. And then right. Vancouver is like, wow, that company's in Victoria? <laughs> so they'll talk to you because you're neighbors. <laughs> right, right. But, right, right. you know, it's still very much this wow factor for them. Right. And then San Fran is like, they just, oh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, we invested oh, yeah, in a company up there. We were up there last fall. We, you know, sure. we went to the Viatech event. We went, wow. um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you. 
Yeah, there's some VC cross-pollination happening as well, um, from what I understand. I don't yes. know a lot about it. Yeah. Um, I understand there's a VC event. Um, someone up here pulls them up here. And then also in Kelowna, I want to yeah. say. Yeah, you're right, Kelowna. VC event. Yeah, Correct. so I'm just learning about that. Yeah. Do you know about those yeah so there's groups. yes yes um so i'm not sure if they're called a group but they are right. initiated by Viatech and dam oh and he usually teams up with owen matthews who's you know a huge successful uh local entrepreneur mm-hmm. um or with Razul oh. uh or colin howe mm-hmm. a couple other individuals as well like even craig thompson mm-hmm. um but there's there's a small group of you know, guys that have had success, had successful exits, have a good Rolodex of VCs and that are very actively involved with Viatech. Mm-hmm. And so Dan and this group have been on a mission for the past three or four years of getting more and more of these early stage investor type people to come and visit. And so they usually pair it up with our annual uh, Viatech events that take place in January or September. And they'll bring in a group mm. of VCs and essentially host them and introduce mm-hmm. them to some of the local companies and mm-hmm. take them on tour. And, mm. you know, they all get here and they all do the same thing. Wow, we didn't right. realize right. you had this here. Yeah, and we're a direct flight away. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Exactly. Let me take a quick break um, and uh, thank our returning sponsors, uh, Roundtable Consulting. Uh, Roundtable Consulting serves organizations in providing facilitation and research, as well as business and strategic planning needs. Roundtable Consulting also helps with reconciliation from building a more inclusive workspace to diversity training. Uh, Please learn more about Roundtable Consulting at roundtableconsulting.ca. What are women great at in tech? Is there something different that you find they bring to the table? There is. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've Mm -hmm. quite figured out what that answer is or Mm -hmm. what that aspect is. Shouldn't have said quite. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I hate to gender, but it is, but but it is right. I mean, men and women are different by and large. We just think different. We communicate differently. Um, we approach things differently. Uh, and you feel it when you go into, so a lot of times women who come to interview at Revenue Wire, mm-hmm. you know, they get interviewed by me, um, my VP of, of HR, Kim, my VP of business development, Sue, mm-hmm. um, and they're all like, oh my God, um, I'm coming into a company with female leaders mm-hmm. and, um, you know, roughly half of the team is female mm-hmm. and they come from a company wow. that is literally 90% or more male. For sure. Right. Wow. Developers, sales guys, whatever. Leaders. And leaders. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that culture right. is male skewed. Right. Um, yeah. To test wrong. No, it is. You know, it just is, right? For sure. The conversation, yeah. you know, whether it's sports or golf or whatever it is. Right. Not that women don't play sports or talk sports. For sure. Yeah. But we tend to like about shopping better than sports. 
come into that. That's right. Um, if it, if but, shopping was important, they would make it a world sport. That's like right. A world cup. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, there could be. Yeah. yeah. There should there, be. There should be. That's There's someone, women who are I'll, really good at that. That's right. Yes. That's right. There has to be scoring um, and different ways. But there's just, there's it's a different and culture. And I yeah, yeah, I sure. really, so for me, the 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 answer would be communication. Yeah. And it's not that it's a communicate or not. It's a style. It's, you know, and collaboration, I think, mm. is that, you know, and here I'm stereotyping because I think for the most part, most women want to collaborate and compromise. Mm. And a lot of men want to win. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so you got competitive women and they want to win. Right. But by and large, they want, they want the whole team to win. Mm-hmm. And they're not worried about being the top dog mm-hmm. and just winning for the sake of winning. Right. You almost can, you know, look to somebody like Trump mm-hmm. and go, well, there's right. there, there's, there's a sample <laughs> of what, you know, male leadership is. Right. Not, yeah. thank God, all yeah. male leaders aren't like him. Right. Um, but, and I apologize if you voted no, 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 for no, him. No, no, <laughs> no, but, I, but I have stumbled across him a couple of times. Uh, we shared the same revolving door. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, at Trunk Tower. Yeah, no, actually uh, very, I, I worked in the same building as, um, Howard Stern. And so ah, when I would yes. come to work, uh, guests would often leave. And, and he was often a guest. Yeah, that's right. And also yeah. it was just a half block away. Yeah. So, uh, so he, he was a frequent guest. You know. Yeah, he totally was. Uh, God, I won't be surprised if he made those remarks about his daughter the, one of those days that I saw him. That's an epiphany. Um, but I, I like to go back to what you were saying, which is really interesting, which is women don't care, especially about perhaps if I can highlight their individual career versus the team moving forward. Yeah. And there's... There's always exceptions, accurate? right? There's yeah. exceptions on the male side. There's exceptions sure. on the female side. Um, but I think nowadays women are much supportive in helping other women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in, I, you know, for me, having spanned 30 years of career, I would say in my early part of my career, because there was fewer women and you had to fight for those senior roles, it was more competitive Mm -hmm. and I like the fact that those days seem to be behind us Mm -hmm. and I think women newer generations as well as just you know a newer climate nowadays women are much more about helping other women and Mm -hmm. collectively Mm -hmm. you know we're going to make it easier for women to have leadership roles Mm -hmm. and approaching it that way and I think I, you know, again, I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's, um, you know, the way in which we're we're going to help change things is by having strength in numbers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you need to have more women sitting around the boardroom. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many boardrooms and tables that I've been at where, you know, most times it's I'm the only woman, right. female. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That is changing Mm -hmm. you know there is more women sitting at the table um and so i don't know if that's more of the teamwork the collaboration the working together Mm -hmm. and then i also have to say boy who helped me in my career Mm -hmm. are men Mm -hmm. 
I did have one female mentor mm. early, early on in my career, mm -hmm. but most of my mentors or people who have opened a door for me mm. or have said to me those words that made me feel confident mm. um, have been men. Mm. And that's great. To me, that's the, you know, we're all working together as a team, as a group, as a, um, a tribe mm -hmm. um, to make things better. And you, you can't make things better, I don't believe, at least. Mm. You can't make things better for winning. I'm the only winner. I have to win. I have to get the best deal. I like uh, something I read, I think, from a Buddhist monk who was saying, how can you be better than anyone? You can't be taller than that tall person. You can't be yeah. better at getting low things than that short person or whatever. We're equal. You can't be better. Yeah. You're all just individually different. Yeah. You can't be better. Yeah. It's impossible. It, it's you impossible. Are you. Yes. Yeah. But there, there, and, and that's a, a great philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, but then if you look mm -hmm. at yeah. things like sports. Yeah, for sure. You always end up with a winner. Yeah. Right. right? right. And that's. Um, Second is the first loser. Yes. My <laughs> grandpa actually said that to me once. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. If you're not first, you're last. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Second is the first loser. He, right. he would say that. And, wow. and again, I think generations, yep. that has evolved. But again, if you go back to my generation, I mean, the, the program I was in at Laurentian University for sport marketing, mm -hmm. business degree, had four women. Wow. Out of uh, 30? Out of a, 30, yeah. yeah like out of that. a mm -hmm. class of around 30. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, 12% and, and or so. Yeah. Historically speaking, uh -huh. You know, there are more men who participate in sport than women. Yeah. It's it's getting better and better every single year and generation. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I, that was another interesting thing I've read more than once. When they go and look at female CEOs, 99% mm -hmm. of them played competitive sports. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Mm. So it's that that competitiveness, that desire mm. to win. That, but usually you're in a team, mm. mm -hmm. or you're part of a group, a coach. A, mm -hmm. You know, you, you can never win something on your own. Right. It's near impossible. And um, as a father of daughters, I, I I'm just getting a flashback to something else going through social media maybe last year or the year before of uh, them asking, you know, what's it like to run like a girl? Did you see that? No, yeah, I and, didn't. And it's all kids, right? You know, yeah. they have different age groups and stuff, right? And, you know, I think it was something like below 10. It was like, you know, just some girl like, oh, this is how I run. You know, she looks, you know, like she's running. And then in the teens, it looks kind of like they're all, you know, wispy or whatever you want to say. Um, and so there is a, you know, a socialization or, or what have you, you know, at a particular age. Um, and I love pointing out to my young daughters, I'm like, oh, look, there's a girl mechanic. There's a boy doctor, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But that age, right. that age of 11, 12, 13, um, there's tons, tons of research out there how girls, change mm -hmm. at that age mm -hmm. and the most important influence at that age is the father mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not the mother mm -hmm. 
the father, how oh, actively involved the father is in that girl's life at mm. that time in their development. And again, this is all hindsight, but I remember every day after school waiting for my dad to come home and he would play football with me in the backyard mm. every day. Mm. Right. So it was at some point in certain years, it was baseball because I always played baseball. But then it was football and you give me the plays and I'd run them out and he'd throw them. And um, but he always was actively involved, even though my mom was huge sports fan and still is. He was the one who was actively involved with me and helping me perfect my sports skills. Um, And that's that is a critical point. So. There right. you go with your girls. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, if if that's important in, you know, well, your, sure. your upbringing and with well, girls. Well, no, it's not important. Uh, rugby is more important. <laughs> Do your girls play rugby? They will. Oh, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> and then I, they're going to be astronauts. <laughs> love it. Which well, may not be a big thing, actually, by the time. You know, it's more like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would just be like, oh, they're just an astronaut. Yeah, it's like female you know? doctors. I mean, it's that's almost right. 50% now. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 But also it'll be just like a regular trade. It won't, it won't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. That was actually the Mars. other. I'm a long haul Mars astronaut driver. Yeah. <laughs> that was the other name I suggested for My the goodness. award oh. is I suggested uh, Bondi. For the Viatech Award. For the Viatech Award uh-huh. after Roberta Bondar. Oh. As the first Canadian. Why do I know that name? Roberta Bondar. Oh, oh, of course. We have a book, actually. We have a kid's book. Oh. On, on her oh, life. Oh, neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh. one of these almost, um, I guess, sort of uh, aimed at, say, eight-year-olds or seven-year-olds. Uh-huh. Like, this is a rocket launching and this is. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, I know why. I, I know that because I've read it 20 or 30 times to my girls. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's neat. Um, I want to get back a little bit to what you were saying about uh women in the workplace and i'd like to talk about two things and please help me remember these i serve on the board uh with a woman uh who we had an interesting conversation together who she was talking about the compliment of the current board of men and women also ages and yeah um but in particular to gender as she had brought up because it's my first year and she had been on for a few other years. So she had seen, you know, different change. Yeah. Change gender ages, you know, experiences and stuff like this. Um, And she said uh, our current board uh, was good in the way, uh, in in the current compliment, because um, it it was, it was a good division of of, of women and men in the past. You know, so like a half and half or something. Um, But in the past, it, uh, she had served on one that was mostly women. And she said it was like, whoa, it's like way too much, for instance, conversation and talking um, and less you know, doing. doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, of course, it could be the exact op- opposite, obviously. Yeah. And I, I hate making you know, gender, you know, broad strokes and all this. Um, but, I, but I would like to hear maybe in, in your perspective and experience what that has been like. And it's because you piqued my interest when you said revenue wire is 50, 50. And I'm wondering if you find that's a, it's a nice, like sweet spot or, or something like this. You know, um, 
I, not like I'm sure Amy would be like, oh, no, no, get another guy right. on the team. Yeah. get another girl on the team. No, no. And, uh, you know. <clears throat> but what's your experience been? I, I like the balance. I mean, I personally wouldn't, uh, for the type of businesses that I've been involved with, I wouldn't want an all-female team you know i i i think the whole point of diversity is that you have different perspectives i mean not only do we have a lot of male female um in leadership as well as on specific teams we have a lot of uh ethnic uh variety as well so um not only just in terms of visible by not minorities but also people who have moved here from right. other countries. So they right. bring, you know, new perspectives, different views on things. Yeah, they could be Caucasian from a whole host of different cultures. Yeah, that's right. They can be yeah. from Germany. They can be from Britain. Australia. They can, yeah, yeah, Australia, absolutely. Or uh, China and India. and Canada. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They can Even still be from here. Calgary. Yeah. 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 Uh, those newfies, boy. <laughs> we, got, we got one here. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we don't have one. I'd like one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. They're fun. Well, we can ship them in. There's a direct flight, you know. Let me know if you need. <laughs> but it's it's all of that. So I wouldn't. Right. I yeah. I think too much of one type yeah is going to get um, a, a group think mentality for sure, and you miss things then, right? Because you're not. Thinking differently. You're not bringing in a new perspective. You can't think differently. No. The group in whole has no experience yeah. in that. And even, so the Culture, other thing. Maybe economic demographic. Yeah. You know, such as like. All, Life experiences. Yeah, say everything. it's all private school people. I mean, obviously yeah. I'm drawing broad strokes here. Or maybe it's only public school people and they don't have a perspective on private yeah. schools. Educated, even university educated versus not. Different different 100%. ways of thinking on things. Totally. I'm sure even um, East Coast, West Coast. Yeah. All West Coast people probably couldn't appreciate all East Coast things or something if they're getting yeah. into that market or what have you. The you know? other the other part uh-huh. that we've done for a few years now at Revenue Wire is we go and uh, we do this assessment and then this group training on communication style. Mm. And it's four quadrants. So um, we've got expressives. Mm-hmm. So you're an expressive. <laughs> Shocking, I know. <laughs> driver, I'm a driver. Uh-huh. Um, analytical mm-hmm. and amiable. And and each style, of course, communicates differently. Mm -hmm. And the point of learning the different styles is so that you can flex Mm -hmm. to the other person's style. The onus Mm -hmm. is on me to, you know, recognize your style and flex Mm -hmm. to your style. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we had too many expressives in the office, I would go nuts. Right. (laughs) Expressive like to talk, and I just like to get shit done. Would you please stop expressing yourself? Okay, we've had ten minutes of expressiveness. Can we move on now? That's right. Let's talk about moving on. Yeah, I love to. I saw something interesting on moving on the other day. Me too. I did. Get me out of here. And then the analytics. In the coffee shop. And the analytics are just sitting there going, oh, my God, will all these people just shut up? I have to think about what we're talking about. And the amiables, of course, are just like, yeah, yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're all right. Yeah, you're all, whatever yeah. you want. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will eat shit, even if you tell me to eat That's shit. Right. I don't right. want to eat shit. But 
I will. Because I want to make you happy. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm struck by an interesting idea. Like if only there was maybe a service or something where, uh, uh, you know, people could go and they could take testing that would put them into, for instance, like these particular you know, groupings. Uh, I recently revisited my Myers-Briggs, yeah. which, which I found was identical. That's always nice. But then yeah. also re-educated myself, reoriented myself on that. And... Um, like if you could do this testing, employees could do a particular testing yep. and then you could see what's the complement of your company. Yeah. Oh, we score really high in people who have West Coast attitude, East Coast attitude, high economic demographic, low, different cultures, men, women. Like I wonder if it's very helpful. You could have a, a full graph and then you would yeah. see, for instance, um, for those of us who are just listening to us, I'm making big gestures with my hands. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, like maybe there's areas, of course, that are missing. And then you could make an educated hiring decision. Well, Perhaps like, well, we could go for someone who knows more about XYZ. You know, we could really go for someone who has a this cultural aspect that would add to broaden our perspective. And it, and it should, right? It should influence your hiring. Mm -hmm. um, it should influence how you even set up your internal mentoring, right? To right. couple people so that they're compatible. Mm -hmm. um, so when we started doing this communication style training, the company was heavily skewed, expressive, and analytical. Oh, We had a couple drivers and a couple amiables, but heavily skewed. And it has, over time, influenced how we interview people and what we look for. And so now we're actually way more balanced than we used to be. I'd still say we're, we're you know, the smallest group is still amiable, hmm. but we have way more balance on analytical, expressive, and driver um, than we did you know, when we first started doing this exercise. And and then it's one of those things, too, where you need a couple of training, right? Because it's one thing to, it's fun, you take the test, and then you have a, a one-day workshop, and you learn about things. And But I've been in conversations with people where they'll come to me and say, I am I am so frustrated in dealing with this person. Rah, rah, rah. Right, right, right. Like, oh, what communication style are they? Well, I don't know. Well... I know you're expressive and they're analytical. <laughs> and you can just see their face drop, right? It's right. like, ah, I get it. Okay. So, you know, maybe pull out your, we have a little cheat sheet, pull oh, it out again. And, really? and it tells you, it gives you little tips for how to communicate with drivers versus expressive versus analytical. And it's, wow. and it's very practical and wow. it works. Would you share that with us? I'll put a link maybe or something. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But it, it should infuse your whole company, right? If you're if you're doing <laughs> these personality assessments and mm -hmm. you know the purpose is to help um, your team communicate mm -hmm. better or help leaders coach their you know um, their team members better, mm -hmm. all of that needs you know to be part of of the fabric of the company, and mm -hmm. and you need to refresh yourselves as well from the training perspective because you get into bad habits and you For forget sure. some of the principles. I want to uh, get back to us the second thought that I had, which is this philosophy, and this is going 
way back in our conversation here when you were talking about uh, a greater amount of women uh, coming up through the ranks and, and um, reaching down and helping them, you know, the other ones up and whatnot. But uh, I, I had read an interesting perspective of this queen bee. Uh, are you familiar with this? This queen bee, I don't know what they call it, attitude or perspective or queen bee syndrome or something like this, where um, it would be thought, uh, I think this is what it was saying in the article, it was, uh, there's speculation that um, as women move into fill in the industry here, other ones falling behind would then be helped up because they're naturally, you know, the same tribe pulling the other ones up. But in fact, it's the opposite where there's actually a queen bee know, syndrome or something like this uh, in which uh, there is a repression of sorts. And boy, am I reaching back in my memory. I think it was about three or four years ago. So please, you know, I've got great, you know, latitude with, with memorying, but it was something in broad strokes like that. And I'm pretty sure it was like from Harvard Business Review, where, yeah. where it was it's like a fascinating article where they really had a lot of, you know, um, uh, interesting insights based on some testing and blah, blah, blah. But um, that really uh, affected me because I also was thinking like that was a natural inclination of, say, any culture or gender. Whoever's mm -hmm. getting into whoever's getting a break would then reach back to whomever culture or gender they came from to help them along. Have you experienced that, or have you talked with other women who have experienced this? I hate to say, I think it's queen bee syndrome or something like that. Yeah, and I, I'm not no. familiar with that. Okay. I I personally haven't um, experienced it, and I right. certainly have the view of. You know, you've got to help more women. You know, sure. you've, you've got to be a mentor. You've got to be a good role model. Um, you know, if you're the first one on that board, um, you better come prepared and, and you know, be a, a good board member. And so that, you know, the women coming along next, mm -hmm. you know, everybody else around that table had a positive experience. And, mm -hmm. you know, bringing more female board members um or for more females onto the board is a good thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but no, the um, I don't deny that it probably exists and there mm -hmm. probably is that syndrome happening. Mm -hmm. um, I fortunately haven't had to deal with that. And, uh, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's the type of thing, because most of my career has been with, you know, companies that are more or less under a hundred. Mm -hmm, I mm -hmm. think if you went into oh, a, that's interesting. you know, a much yeah. larger organization, you're going to get right. much different dynamics. Different industries. Different industries too. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Their example actually was like Hillary Clinton. And so politics in and of itself, I would say is a very cutthroat oh, yeah. industry. Yeah, totally. Obviously. Yeah. Um, but then when it comes to um, technology and similar industries, I think that could be grouped with technology that's very innovative and forward thinking, like say fashion, music, stuff like this. Um, I think it has a much different culture than say a more antiquated, if you could say that about politics and maybe some other industries that could be grouped together. And perhaps I wonder if Queen Bee is more predominant in that, say grouping of industries versus our grouping of industries or something yeah, like Yeah, tech is so 
collaborative. It's such a, yeah. and I agree with you on the the fashion and some of those other industries. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you think of the, you know, a lot of tech companies have open offices. Yeah, right? oh, sure. Because you're encouraging mm-hmm. the creative thought process and the collaboration. collaboration yeah. and, and so that culture, that community more broadly, I think encourages that. Whereas, yeah, yeah I think if you, if you go into a, a very competitive area where it's mm-hmm. much more hierarchical mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody's vying for that corner office mm-hmm. or that seat on, you know, as a senator – like Hillary mm-hmm. uh, Clinton, then yeah, I, the dynamics are very different in yeah. those careers, those professions. That's interesting because I'm thinking of what you said earlier, which is uh, the women that you've worked with and, and whatnot. You said uh, a lot of them, in your experience, <clears throat> wanted to move the entire team forward versus their own personal agenda or career. Uh, perhaps that's the commonality between all of the grouping of music and fashion that we are talking about versus this other grouping that's political and maybe you could say you could say financial world as well that's yep. a very individually oriented it is career path and perhaps that is more predominant with this particular queen bee queen bee. Yeah. yeah yeah wow we could be weaving gold here <laughs> interesting <laughs> I'm going to Google that now, you know, when I go home tonight because I'm curious. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, I'm, uh, I would like to hear a little bit more. Do you have a little more time? Yeah, okay. I do. I have a little, a few more questions in regards to um, maybe your advice to women who are coming up through the ranks. Say it's their first year in startups or even just, you know, technology in general. Uh, or say it's their fifth year. Uh, say a little bit more senior, intermediate, maybe a team lead. Could you give a little bit more advice to women in those roles? Yeah, and I think, um, you know, broad sweeping in terms of advice is just to be confident in who you are. Be confident in what you're bringing to the table, the skills, the knowledge, the hardworking ethic, whatever it is that um, you, you know, deserve to be there as much as anybody else. Sure. And, um, you know, I think in a lot of cases, you're probably underestimating your value. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, that's what I'm trying to imply with the confidence and mm. own it and uh, feel confident in, in who you are and what you're bringing to the table. And, and I think that sometimes women are, aren't as, uh, demanding, you know, when it comes to say promotions, asking for promotions, asking for Mm -hmm. raises. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I think that's something that's gotten better over the generations, but I still, you know, as a CEO, I have to say, I get asked by men way more for a raise than the female mm-hmm. workers. Mm-hmm. I've probably set up a whole bunch of, of poor CEOs now for women who are going to go marching to their doors asking for raises. But, and you know. also you have not been helping, the, you know, by adding, you know, increasing men's revenues. You're, you're certainly not helping. Oh, I didn't say so I know. approve them. Right. Oh. <laughs> I, just, I just say they ask for it more. <laughs> No, I'm I'm all about, you know, 
fairness and you know you're paying for the role uh and it's nothing to do with men or women um but you know i have to say that it's usually the the men that are asking um for that promotion or that raise or that increase um it's actually quite rare that the women come in and ask for that and you know so it's it's confidence it's know your value um, you only look after yourself, so you have to speak up and ask for what you want. You might not get approved, but but um, it's a good practice and a good experience to ask. You miss 100% of the pitches you don't swing at. Yeah, exactly. If you don't swing for the fence, you're never going to get a home run. What are some phrases men use? when they ask for a raise. Oh boy, I don't... What do people say? What do men say? Yeah, men say, men tend to, and I'm, I'm generalizing here, but they yeah. tend to talk about the, the value that they've brought to the company or the role, what they've done, what they've achieved. And unfortunately, women tend to talk a little bit more about... Um, why they need a raise Mm. and it's you know that's not why you would give a raise right give a raise because you know they're um bringing value to the organization they've grown they've taken on more responsibility they're ready for a promotion Mm -hmm. um and you know you need to come in with those business metrics Mm -hmm. of what you've achieved and why you deserve this Um, because i did a the result was B. Yeah. Or over the past year, I've taken on more of this or, you know, you asked me to do this special project and I delivered it, mm. you know, across the company. Um, Take an initiative because I saw there was a piece missing yeah. puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. What are the phrases that men use when they ask for a raise? So, Bobby... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm Ms. Leach. I'm drawing a blank here because I can't think of anything <laughs> Do you have a minute? recent. Do you have a minute? Well, we always have reviews, right? Okay. So we always have annual uh-huh. reviews. Uh-huh. Oh, so it would be at that time. It would be at that time. It would be an organized time. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and we always discuss salary. I don't uh-huh. I don't make the people mm-hmm. have to ask. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I it might be a conversation that says there there isn't a salary increase this year, but I always as a practice mm-hmm. we cover that topic in your annual review. Mm-hmm. Um and so definitely I've given raises where uh, the individual has not agreed and has come back with their proposal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say that my experience is men will argue for more. Women rarely do. And just my experience, so, for you sure. know, sample size of 100, um, men will, you know, very rarely accept what you just give them. Mm-hmm. They want to present their case for more. Mm. Um, and is that conversation in uh, that review meeting or is there like a follow-up meeting? There's sometimes there's a follow-up meeting, yeah. Uh-huh. That they request? 
Yeah, or that they mm. they will present it. They come in prepared. They come in and present their case, and I mm. might say, "Well, let me think about it," mm-hmm. and um, and so then there's a follow up meeting to discuss mm-hmm. the the outcome. So there's no follow up meeting set in the first place. No. no. So that's another key differentiator. Yeah. Which is saying. I think we should review it again. Yes. And and sometimes it's one of those things where we agree to review it in six months. Uh-huh. Um, so instead of waiting a whole year. Right. Because uh, maybe somebody's in the progress of evolving into a new level. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, but they're not quite there yet. But mm. a year probably is too long. So mm-hmm. we'll agree to meet again in six months. And... Um, uh, those reviews that you talked about, were those annual reviews? Yeah. They're annual reviews. Yeah. 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 Okay. And you don't do them twice a year? No. We don't. No. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, and do you find that's enough, just out of curiosity? Well, so that's your formal... Broadly speaking. Yeah, that's your formal review. Your <laughs> your manager should be checking in with you mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So for whether sure. it's, you know, weekly touch points or, mm-hmm. you know, going for lunch quarterly just to sort of check in and make sure everything's fine. And, right. um, uh, and, and certainly people should be coming forward. If something's really changed drastically in six months, yeah. um, then that manager of that person should be coming forward and saying look you know mm-hmm. so and so left they rose to the occasion they're they've taken over all these duties mm-hmm. they really should be recognized for um you know what they're doing and, mm-hmm. and maybe a title change a raise mm-hmm. um yeah I, I, again we have the annual reviews in place mm-hmm. so that we don't miss having at least one formal event and discussion, but that absolutely should never uh, preclude earlier conversations and discussions or recognizing people because they have taken, you know, they've really grown or they've taken mm-hmm. on more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Would you say, uh, how long would you say that follow-up meeting request is made? Yeah. That, you have an annual review. Yeah. And then how long is it have you found in your experience that men have come back and said, oh, um, I'd like to have a follow-up meeting. Is that a week? Is that a month? Is it's usually a within the week. week. Yeah, it's usually, you know, it might be two or three days of them letting it sit and percolate. <laughs> um, but it's usually addressed within a week. Okay, yeah. and you have that follow-up meeting within a week. Yeah. You find you yeah. will, you want to do that. Yes, I you, I want sure. I personally sure. want to close the yeah. loop. You yeah. know, so if if we discuss this and it's under consideration, mm-hmm. um, then it's only respectful mm-hmm. to deal with that in a timely manner and I just I might have to go back to my VP of HR and check, you know, some salary data or sure. you know, maybe check with somebody else regarding responsibilities that this person has taken on that I didn't realize, mm-hmm. you know, that they had taken on. Uh-huh. That makes um, sense. So, you know, there's things that I, I'd want to just check, discuss, mm-hmm. um, but I would never want to leave somebody hanging for more than a few days. Um, you know, those, right. those conversations are really important and they're very sensitive. And, you know, the last thing you want to do is let somebody hang. Yeah. That's the worst. It is. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah, Yeah. it totally does. Yeah, I found that compensation is far deeper than a 
course, just salary is you know, what is money in the first place, but uh, it's it's like value. It's recognition. Recognition. Yeah, it know, absolutely like is. Value. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That you respect me, you recognize the value I bring to the company. Um, you're rewarding me for all the extra effort I put in. It's it's way deeper than the numbers. And in fact, most times it's not the number. It's just the movement towards a number right. um, that is the most important part. Uh, especially sometimes, of course, a title change or uh, yes. more responsibility. And well. Yeah, recognition. For sure. Um, of growth. Yeah. Professional growth. Yeah. Uh, I found, broadly speaking, uh, that, uh, or I should say personally speaking, um, that I, I have blind spots into what I'm great at. And I think everyone does, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah right? I have those. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, everyone's not good at this? <laughs> like, no, you're great at this. <laughs> yeah. We need you here because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, well, thank you again for, yeah. for coming in. Much appreciated. Any final thank thoughts? You. No, no okay. more final thoughts. All I right. just... Uh, I'm just super happy to see how many more women are in tech and starting companies and, uh, you know, breaking those glass barriers, as they call them. It's awesome. If, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, again, how do they get a hold of you? I think I would just probably go to Revenue Wire and um, they can reach me through the website. Um, they email? can easily, yeah, email rleach, L-E-A-C-H, at revenuewire.com. Mm -hmm. um, and they can uh, uh, easily find me through that. I think that's probably the easiest. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for sharing your thoughts. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks again to Bobby Leach for joining our program. Learn more about her at Revenue Wire. And thanks again to our returning sponsor, Roundtable Consulting. They serve organizations in providing facilitation and research, as well as business and strategic planning. Please learn more at roundtableconsulting.ca. Thank you again for Man Gender Bending, creating the intro, quadratic sound, providing audio support. And thanks again for joining me. See you again next week.